So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Chester and I paid for his lawyer's condo in Aspen and my lawyer's condo in Maui. They're very happy. They're going to trade once a year. I would love to sue them, only it would mean hiring another lawyer. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, the Super Friends... Welcome to Opening Arguments, the podcast that breaks down the law behind all the news stories you care about. This podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hey guys, I'm Liz Dye, with me is Andrew Torres, and this is Opening Arguments, Episode 820. Hey Liz, how you doing? Um, I'm all right. I, uh, I, I just got back from New Orleans. I was visiting one of my kids, and it was... It was lovely. Yeah, you you fly down to Louisiana and the Democrats lose an election, right? That 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 tracks. Yeah, that's that's it's funny you should mention that because my kids are super political, obviously. And being in a place where there isn't like everybody votes, because I'm from I'm from Maryland. Everybody I always knew growing up always voted. I've never not mm-hmm. voted. And to be in a place where there was an election and I did not see one single election sign on election mm-hmm. day was was weird and not not good weird. I mean like it yeah, was nice yeah. to be in a place that wasn't cold. It was very cool. It was a very cool <laughs> town. Uh, but that was that was very strange. Yeah, I have thoughts about it, but uh, I guess they're probably going to have to wait for another time because as always, we have a full plate of stories to to tell you all about today from, you know, Republicans trying to crash the economy to Of course, our usual Trump roundup. But, you know, we're also going to talk about trans bans and other attacks on our LGBTQ plus friends. And uh, we're going to talk about the new Republican affirmative action, which is, of course, affirmative action for white Christian evangelicals. Okay, that sounds terrible. Don't leave, you guys, because first we got to talk about our next speaker of the House, Jim Jordan. Uh, The vote on that will be Tuesday. I I don't see how he has a majority, but. Go ahead. I, 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 Convince I me. am stunned that the Republicans have agreed to put his name forward. I, I know you have some thoughts about what's going on behind the scenes, but le- uh-huh. let's talk about the numbers first, right? So we know of two Republican-only secret votes that got released. The first was the vote that gave Jim Jordan the lead as to be the nominee for the next Speaker of the House. He ran against Austin Scott. And Liz, maybe you'd heard of Austin Scott, but... No, <laughs> I, no, I had not. I sure had not. Right? Well, okay, I'm, I'm just... I'm giving you credit for your encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, minor league Republican dipshits. But in any event... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw the very funniest tweet about him. It was like, Jim Jordan 124, Yassified Jim Jordan 81... <laughs> Yassified is like a when you use a Snapchat filter to make yourself look hot. So uh, ah. I mean, he, he he does he does look more handsome than Jim Jordan. I'm going to give him that. I have no idea who he is. He just looks like a white guy who was generated by AI. But all right, sure. Yeah, this person does not exist. dot com. But yeah, so a, as you pointed out, Jim Jordan to someone whom no one has ever heard of, who did not want to be Speaker of the House and is not qualified to be Speaker of the House, managed to eke out a one twenty four to eighty one to three victory, and everybody else was not in attendance. They were you know, off doing, I don't know, whatever stuff. Right. Jordan then then called for a second secret 
up or down ballot. I call this the like Brewster's Millions, none of the above ballot, right? <laughs> Against literally no one, right? So it was, would you vote for me if I was the only person on the ballot? Or, you know, would you throw yourself off a building? And he won that one 152 to 55 to one. Uh, and just as a reminder, any Republican nominee for Speaker of the House can lose four Republicans. Yeah, That's I, it. I, I love that he's like, "Do you like me? Yes or no?" And people right. are like, "No." Uh, yeah, prefer not to answer. I wonder if he used those little like four fingers in the uh, <laughs> the cootie catchers know, things. Yeah, yeah, cootie catchers. Uh-huh. I, my friends could make. I could never figure out how to fold them properly. But, I'll make uh, you one. then. Oh, thank you. <laughs> then uh, Republicans went home for the weekend, so they just you know yeah. called it a day. Yeah, they're. They're supposed to vote on Tuesday, whatever. Jordan is currently trying to bully all of his colleagues or threaten them. The thinking goes like this. He's going to make them all vote against him. And then that'll like hurt the ones in swing districts, which it makes us. I feel like Jake Tapper, like Nancy Mace came on and was like, well, lots of Democrats like Jim Jordan, lots of Democrats in Ohio like Jim Jordan. And Jake Tapper was like, name one, Nancy. Just just try it. Like, (laughs) go back and, you know, get a different shirt. You know, maybe you need a dunce cap instead. (laughs) I love it. I cannot see how the strategy is going to work in districts that Joe Biden won to threaten those folks with being primaried, right? Because that's what the stories are, is that Jordan, Trump, they're going to put up MAGA idiots. And I I don't know, if you're a Republican member of Congress in a swing district, you're going to look at that and go, okay, great. So you want to lose this seat. (laughs) Right. There's there's no way those folks are going to win in the general. No, I, it's 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 truly weird. It's weird to see, and I I've been trying to puzzle all week. Like I just as I was getting on the plane, this dropped, and I was my family group text. I was like, "This is the funniest thing that's ever happened." And you and I were texting, and then I then I lost signal. Thanks, Southwest. But um, I don't understand how Jordan is in a qualitatively better position than Scalise. Right? Scalise right. voted, and he, I mean, he got whatever it was, 110 to I think it was 88 when he ran against Jordan. And Scalise was like, I do not have the votes. I am going home now. And Jordan is like, I do not have the votes. I am going to threaten to like give everybody in my caucus a noogie. I I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Like he's going to do a pile driver on them. Like for God's sake. Yeah. And that's why we were calling Scalise the the semi grown up candidate, right? He's somebody who can add. He's a whip. He's somebody who can do work. And Jim Jordan isn't. So... Yeah. Here's hoping we get to see him get pinned in in the one more round. Okay. And as long as we're talking about insurrectionists who, you know, want to burn this country to the ground, why don't we do our Trump roundup here, right? Might as well. I'm going to spare you Truth Social because I was in New Orleans and I was having too much fun to look at Truth Social this weekend. So lucky you. You know, rub it in a little harder. So (laughs) just, just as a reminder to the listeners, You're likely listening to this show on Monday, October 16th. That means Judge Chutkin is considering the DOJ's motion for a limited gag order on Donald Trump. Liz, I think this is a potential train wreck in the making because we've talked about the difficulties in imposing any kind of constraint on on Trump and what happens if he just decides not to listen. But Trump 
feels to me like he's doing his best to lose this motion, right? Like he has instructed his lawyer, John Lauro, to lard up the opposition with claims about, you know, Joe Biden election interference, corrupt but her email. You know, rather than making, like there are legal arguments to have been made, but they, they, they were not advanced on behalf of the former president. No, I mean, look, I don't think Lauro's motion was as bad as you think it was, but I, I think that Trump's behavior is so egregious and he, and he continues to push it. Just as a reminder, Trump was absolutely not subject to a gag order in the civil New York attorney general's case where he spread atrocious lies about Justice Engeron's clerk and got that instruction to not dox court employees anymore. That that wasn't a real gag order, right? That was just right. the court saying, like, don't do this terrible thing. And and look, as we've said, judges are tremendously protective of their clerks and their, their courtroom staff. Attacking the clerk that way was so outside the bounds of any any reasonable behavior that getting yelled at and saying, don't do that again, consider it a gag order. That's not a gag order. A gag right. order and, is going to be <laughs> when, a, when a court says to him, you keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I agree. This is on the order of if Donald Trump had wandered in off of Trump Force One in his bathrobe and the, the judge was like, uh, are you going to put on, you know, pants and shoes? And, you right. know, Trump had said no. And then the court was like, look, we, we wear pants and shoes in this courtroom, Mr. Trump. Right. And then he went back and did it. Right. Like it, it was that yeah. level of, of an instruction. I, I don't know. I'm happy to take the opposite position on you that like I thought Morrow's arguments were just bewilderingly terrible. And so here, here's mm -hmm. an actual paragraph chosen. OK, not at random, but I, I mean, just <laughs> listen, this could have been burped out on Truth Social. And this is in an actual pleading in what would have otherwise been a winnable opposition. So uh, Laro says the Biden administration charged President Trump. That's false. The leading contender in the 2024 presidential election, that's false, for statements he made as president, that's false. Now keenly aware that it is losing the race for 2024, that's false. I mean, like, okay, I'll just finish <laughs> reading it. Right? The prosecution seeks to unconstitutionally silence President Trump's, but not President Biden's, political speech on pain of contempt. In support, the prosecution presents nothing but pretexts, claiming that the court must muzzle President Trump. And it, it goes on like this for 25 pages. And like, I... I you know, virtually all of the legal argument that they make is with respect to the law of prior restraint. And that's just not how any of it works. And, and, and you know, what, what really sticks out to me is when we first read this opposition, Liz, you picked up on the only potentially good case that, that Laro cited in that opposition, which was the one involving former Congressman Harold Ford of Tennessee. And Harold, call know, me. If, if anybody's out there who remembers that ad, you also are old. Maybe you need to like yeah. get bifocals and retinol. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the problem, and so look, right, like what happened in this case was there was an overly broad gag order on Harold Ford that got overturned on appeal, right? So that right. seems awfully relevant. The problem is that case is from 1987 and has been superseded as a matter of law. Right. And, and also the Ford gag order was much more expansive than the one Jack Smith seeks here. Let me let me let me right. push back. I agree with you. I have written I have a posted above the law saying that this was ridiculous and that they they misapplied the standards and that they being Lauro in support of Trump's position. They were like, you know, I think they talked about incitement, sta the standard for incitement or the standard for prior restraint. I, I will say mm -hmm. it was larded down with a bunch of terrible arguments. I think they made a couple of decent arguments 
moment. And I will say, I don't actually think that it matters. I mean, because I believe that Judge Chutkin, like we have said on this show a whole bunch of times, nobody is going to impose a serious restraint on Trump because A, he's running for president and it's going to look political. And B, like, what are you going to do when he breaks it? Nobody wants to lock him up. And I wrote about this for Aaron yeah. Rupar at Aaron Rupar's public notice substack. And I got tremendous pushback because I said, you know, they're not going to lock him up without a jury verdict of guilty. They're not going to lock him up. And people said, you know, well, you're you're green lighting. You're giving permission. You're, you're imposing a permission structure on bad behavior by the courts. And um, would that I had that much power, I wish. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I don't think that acknowledging the reality of this situation is saying it's okay. I, I just think things are complicated. You have to acknowledge the things that are real. Otherwise, you you know, how how are you any different from Donald Trump who's constantly like, I could just solve this problem on the first day so easy. You know, we're going to build a wall and it's all going to be fine. Like, no, no, I'm not here to bullshit you. I mean, maybe a little, but in the main, <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. Like, they're not going to put him in jail unless he does something tremendously egregious and probably, frankly, not then until there's a jury verdict. You and I as parents know you you can only pull out the I will turn this car around once, right? Like well, once you've lost your credibility on don't don't do that, or you know, we're definitely not going to Disney World in two days. Really, you know, that's you are dealing with a toddler with a bomb strapped to their chest. And mm-hmm. yeah, you have to be aware that, that that party is not behaving rationally. So speaking of Trump's bad behavior and its legal consequences, the Post this mm-hmm. week has an article with four bylines talking about how Trump's PR strategy and his legal strategy are sometimes at odds, which is like, no <laughs> shit, Sherlock. We, we've talked about that a whole bunch on the show. But there was a really interesting anecdote in that article. It was said on Wednesday at a Trump rally in Florida, he was bloviating to some weirdos who call themselves Club 47 about the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. He was the head of Mm -hmm. the Quds Force. Trump said, I don't think this has ever been told. They'll say, oh, it's classified information. Maybe it is, but I don't think so. Weird flex for a guy facing, you know, 32 counts of mishandling sensitive or classified information. Right. And, and then he goes on to attack Israel some more. There was a whole bunch of stories in the news about mm-hmm. how he was, you know, he's mad at Netanyahu or whatever. It's a truly strange thing for him to do this week. But yeah. since Netanyahu kind of refused to support him against Biden and then refused to say that he had really won the election and Biden had stolen, he, he being Trump now wants to engineer Netanyahu's ouster. I mean, like you and I have talked about this a bunch off the air. I think Netanyahu is probably going to get ousted without Trump's interference because he mm-hmm. presided over this insane intelligence failure. But that's that's not the topic for our show. So back in Florida, Trump's going on. He says, we had everything all set to go. And the night before it happened, I got a call that Israel would not be participating in this attack. He's talking about the assassination or attack on Soleimani. He said, mm-hmm. nobody's heard this story before, but I'd like to tell it to Club 47 because you've been so loyal and so beautiful. Okay, yeah, I can I can actually hear that in in Trump's voice, but like this is seriously how he thinks. Like, oh yeah, a small group of loyal fans. How, how can I reward them? I'll regale them with classified information that they're not entitled to hear. Exactly. So he goes on. I can do whatever I want, but I did nothing wrong. So as I said, the point of this article is to talk about how Trump's big mouth gets him in tr- in trouble. So Trump is constantly bragging about his habit of mishandling classified information while acknowledging that he hasn't declassified it with the power of his mind or whatever, which 
which should, you know, do some damage to his defenses in the documents case. Yeah. Counterpoint, Judge Eileen M. Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo. Uh, put a pin in her. I wish. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, th- there's that problem. Voodoo. Yeah, we you could to Louisiana. You could have gotten a doll with her. <laughs> All right. So we've talked on this show about Trump blowing up that plan to use the advice of counsel defense in the D.C. election interference case because he bragged to meet the press's Kristen Welker that he had relied on his own bigly brain instead of his lawyer's representations that throwing out electoral votes was very cool and very legal. Yeah. And as you have noted on multiple occasions, Liz, that that is highly, highly unlikely to happen. Right. I do not think he's going to waive attorney-client privilege uh, for this advice of counsel defense under any circumstances. There's no way on God's green earth that he's going to, like, let Rudy Giuliani testify about their conversations. There's just (laughs) just none. And not least, because if he does that, it's going to bone him in the Georgia case, too, right? You can't waive it as to one case, and then the prosecution in Georgia is going to have to pretend that they didn't, like, see everything that came out there. Yeah, and remember— Georgia's advice of counsel defense, to to the extent that it's permitted in a case like this, and that's not clear, is different than the federal advice of counsel defense. So he could wind up waiving privilege and it not helping him at all. And um, oh, that would be sad. (laughs) It sure would be. Okay, so pull pull that (laughs) pin from your voodoo doll because on Friday's show we told you that uh, Judge Eileen Cannon had finally scheduled a Garcia hearing in the Southern District of Florida documents case. Now remember. The major issue pending for that Garcia hearing was that Walt Nauta continues to be represented by Stan Woodward, who is not only being paid by Donald Trump's super PAC to not represent Nauta's best interests, but also Stan previously represented Yuskel Tavares. Tavares, you will recall, is the IT tech who has flipped and intends to testify against Trump and his co-defendants that they tried to get him to delete the security camera footage, right? So it is an outrageous, unwaivable conflict of interest. And the fact that Stan Woodward has been able to continue to represent Walt Nauta for the past two plus months is uh, beyond outrageous. We told you that at that hearing, based on conflicting media reports, that Seemed like Judge Cannon had manufactured some phony outrage over new arguments being presented at the hearing. And and anyway, the upshot of that is that major issue is still unresolved as of today. Yeah, I, I think we'll see some briefing about that one this week because right. Judge Cannon said, you, the government, have illegitimately raised a, a new issue that we never talked about in any of your briefs before. And so now we're going to have to have a whole briefing and we're going to have to have another hearing and blah, blah, blah. And she yelled at the government. We will see. I, I assume we're going to get an order from her laying out exactly what she is pissed about in the next couple of days. So we'll be able to kind of resolve the conflict between those media re- reports. Yeah. And it'll probably allow for another six weeks of briefing. And if that just happens uh-huh. to push the trial out, you know, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So what did get resolved today um, in, a, in an order this Sunday is that Cannon accepted the other co-defendant, Carlos de Oliveira's waiver of the attorney-client conflict with respect mm-hmm. to his lawyer, John Irving. Irving is another Trump land lawyer, previously represented three other potential witnesses in this case. Irving is also being paid by Trump's super PAC, 
so which it's all gross, right? But but it's probably mm-hmm. legal. It, it wasn't nearly as egregious as this issue with Uskil Tavares. So here's right. the order Judge Cannon issued today in the afternoon. She said, following a full colloquy, the court found that defendant De Oliveira knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily waived his Sixth Amendment right to conflict-free counsel arising from any actual or potential conflicts of interest caused by Mr. Irving's former representation of the individuals identified in the motion. Yeah, and to me, this just felt like a defendant without the resources to secure his own lawyer being terrified that he was going to be left without private counsel in the case. But, you know, I may be looking at that through a heavily democratic lens, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt. Well, it's Monday, so it is time to thank our Hall of Fame patrons, our all-time greats over at patreon.com slash law. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. Thank you, too. I'm not the sheet slitter, but the sheet slitter's son. But I'll slit your sheets till the sheet slitter comes. Thank you to Supergiant Robot, Brady Turner, Watercolors in the Tim. One of these days, I'm going to do this entire thing in, like, the heaviest Baltimore accent. One of these days when I get watercolors. But not today. Watercolors are definitely looking for you to to bring the the Baltimore. Oh, I know. I got it. I got it going on. Thank you to I Never Learned Anything by Being Right, Greg Frostrom, Roger Elliott, Ian Horswell, Sir Arcane, Slardy Bartfast, Favorite Fjord, Fnord, Surfer Rugby Player Lawyer, In That Order, E.G. Schempf, Trent Barstad. I'll check out your briefs. I'm Amicus Curious. I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, etc., etc. You got into Harvard Law? Well, I can fart. The MILF, formerly known as Zippy. Eric Stratton, that's Eric Stratan. That Eric Stratan, I do not like that Eric Stratan. Do you like Nirvana the band? To be continued. Kurt Girdle's <laughs> story is incomplete. Liza Green, Jim Kitchen, Joseph Vigiano, Michael Knowles. I'm fast at sex again to the tune of Won't Get Fooled Again by English rock band The Who and MJ Hinman. And a special thanks to Loaf of Orange. Objection. Perry Mason has no relevance to this case. Overruled. Fraud. Fishy hates everything. Hot Spears owed to a small lump of filibuster I found in my armpit one midsummer morning. Chris Simpson. Liberal zone guns too. Support root cause mitigation. Not ineffective gun control. Zach Bloom. Catherine Cannell. Lily needs a puppy treat. Legal Eagle is so handsome. Plug whatever you guys want here. I don't listen anyways. Patreon benefits rule. Fame and fortune guaranteed in the state of Kentucky. Supreme Court justices should have 18-year term limits, and so should Conrad Michaels, Edgy Veggie, Elect Thomas Smith President, American Honky Tonk Bar Association, Angry MacFace, Vasectomies, Prevent Abortions, Jason Copas. I'm tired of all your sexual innuendo. Please don't waka, waka. We, <laughs> we don't need a call out. Thanks for what you do. RondaTheDork.com. Go check that out. Greg Kreimer, eat their pizza and form a union anyway, and our all-time great Mitchell. And if you'd like to join the ranks, you know how to do that. Head on over to patreon.com slash law. Sign up at the $5 and up level. You get all the wonderful benefits, and we'll read you out as a Hall of Fame patron every week. Okay. So speaking of terrible news, there is an absolute bloody avalanche of drag bans and attacks on trans people coming down the pike, thanks to Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and the assault, and Leonard Leo, of course, and their assault on the federal judiciary. I think it's really important to note how the courts are treating 
some of these things differently from others. Erin mm. Reed monitors this stuff in her essential substack, And as she notes, multiple courts like the 11th Circuit have allowed bans on gender affirming care for minors and bathroom bills to go through. But right. last week, the 11th Circuit blocked the state's drag ban, or at least affirmed the trial judge's finding that it applied statewide, not just to the specific plaintiffs who had challenged the law in court, which is a it's it, it's a it's a memorable plaintiff. The plaintiff is called Hamburger Mary's, which is a bar that had a drag brunch in Florida. Mm-hmm. The court applied a First Amendment analysis to the drag ban, which mm-hmm. drag is expressive conduct. That's why these cases are coming out differently from the trans bashing cases, where the courts or the, are rejecting or the bathroom cases, right? Yeah, yeah, or the bathroom cases where the, where the courts are rejecting an equal protection analysis for trans people, right? So you, you, what you're looking at here, you are kind of broadly speaking, seeing the, the bans on trans people being themselves in public, you're seeing them upheld by the courts because they rejected this equal protection analysis. Whereas the drag bans are generally speaking falling on the other side because that's First Amendment expressive conduct. Yeah, that's exactly right. So look, good on the 11th Circuit, although... I think in the interest of fairness, we should note that this one might end up going the other way in the end. Uh, At issue here is just the preliminary injunction that was issued by the trial judge, Gregory Presnell. That's analyzed on an abusive discretion standard, which is, you know, pretty high. And and note that that Judge Brasher, another Trump-appointed Federalist Society weirdo who is literally half of Judge Presnell's age, would have granted the appeal limiting the trial court's order to just the individual plaintiffs, right, just to Hamburger Mary's, and allowed the drag ban to go into effect statewide with regard to everybody else, which, you know, is not how any of this works, but they don't care. Uh, The other two judges, Robin Rosenbaum and Adalberto Jordan, are Obama appointees, and if you're thinking that's probably the end of the good news on the 11th Circuit, right, right, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, the rest of it is pretty bad. So that's why the other two horrible laws were allowed to go into effect. Yeah. I mean, brass tacks, you guys. You know how they always try to get out the vote by saying, this is the most important election in our lifetime? Imagine if the most important election in our lifetimes was seven years ago. Yeah, and now imagine that we whiffed it because, you know, Nate Silver told us there was zero percent chance that Trump could win Wisconsin. And, you know, our candidate had set up a private email server and maybe it was good to, like, depress her vote total a little bit to send a message and empower new third parties. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll yeah. put my soapbox away. <laughs> okay. And speaking of the ongoing disaster that is our federal judiciary, Judge Matthew Kaczmarek Amarillo's resident danger to all living things has refused to reconsider a procedural motion relating to Texas A&M's ban on drag shows on campus. Mm -hmm. We we talked about this in episode 811. It's captioned a procedural motion, which sounds pretty technical, which is why this order has not gotten a lot of press coverage. But Andrew, luckily we have a resident (laughs) spelunker and he's going to go into this order and explain to us why it's really a pretty goddamn bad disaster. Yeah, it is. Uh, This case is called Spectrum WT versus Wendler. So Spectrum WT is a recognized on-campus school-sponsored LGBTQ plus group on the Texas A&M campus. And Wendler is the president of Texas A&M, and he has prohibited Spectrum WT or anyone else, but let's, let's be honest, it was Spectrum WT who wanted to put on drag shows. And again, 
I feel like I have to emphasize this if, if there are folks who have not been to a drag show, right? If you haven't, right, they're not naked, right? <laughs> like, it's not, this is, and we're talking about at a college, you know, for adults, and we're talking about a country in which, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race has been airing on basic cable for 15 years, right? So, right. A- anyway, President Fainting Couch said the following. A harmless drag show? Not possible. I will not appear to condone the diminishment of any group at the expense of impertinent gestures towards another group for any reason, even when the law of the land appears to require it. End of actual quote. And you probably heard the bold italics from my notes. That law of the land is, you know, the First Amendment. I mean, okay, it's it's the First Amendment anywhere that Trump judges aren't interpreting what the First Amendment means. And as we told you in episode 811, there is a Supreme Court case called Shad versus Borough of Mount Ephraim that is directly on point, right? That says live entertainment generally. And in that case, we were talking about nude dancing, right? Arguably way more, uh, you know, potentially prurient than a uh, than a drag show is protected speech under the First Amendment, which means that President Snowflake is discriminating on the basis of viewpoint, and the standard, therefore, is strict scrutiny, which means that the ban on drag shows is obviously unconstitutional, which is why, you know, every other court to consider it has come down the other way. Yeah, and I just, I just want to flag one other thing, where he mm-hmm. says, I will not appear to condone the diminishment of any group at the expense of impertinent gestures to another group. What he means is women. He's saying that drag shows kind of harm women on campus because they make fun of women or some bullshit like that. It's, as a woman, I don't know if y'all are aware, I do fall into that subcategory of human beings. That's fucking offensive. Well said. So... The student group moved for a preliminary injunction and, you know, Catch Merrick, so of course they lost. And for good measure, in addition to denying the injunction, Judge Catch Merrick also dismissed count four of the plaintiff's first amended complaint, which was a section 1983 claim. That is a civil claim that you bring against a state official for violating your civil rights, which President Wendler has done by infringing on the free speech of Spectrum WT. Kaczmarek dismissed that claim out on the grounds of qualified immunity, right? Held that the president of the university was immune from suit in his role as president of the university. And don't have time to address the, the merits of that argument, but, but here's the procedural geekery and what it means. Okay, So Spectrum WT can and has immediately filed an interlocutory appeal for the denial of their injunction. Okay. The bad news is that goes to the Fifth Circuit, so, you know, that's that's not the court I'd want to be in. But, like, yeah. perhaps the Fifth Circuit might care that the Supreme Court has already said that this is preposterously unconstitutional. I mean, look, like, in fairness, the Fifth Circuit didn't give a damn that the Texas abortion ban was patently unconstitutional prior to the Dobbs decision. So, you know, you, you, you're not rolling a lot of dice here. But, but, but look... Procedurally, Spectrum WT can't also appeal the partial dismissal of their 1983 claim until Judge Kaczmarek certifies it as a final order under Rule 54B of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, because right now it's just a partial judgment, right? So the plaintiffs asked President Crybaby Weiner and and, and the other Texas A&M defendants if they would consent to the entry of that 54B final order so that, you know, the parties could consolidate and brief the appeal once rather than twice. And the defendants said yes. But um, despite that making the motion unopposed, guess who denied that, that entry of a final order? That son of a bitch. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> surprise. Okay, so surprise is just Matthew Kaczmarek. You also left out a couple of funny, funny bits. And by funny, I mean, what the? So yeah. first, Judge Kaczmarek's reason for denying this unopposed motion was that the questions regarding count four, that is the 1983 claim, are, quote, fact intensive and underdeveloped for <laughs> count which he dismissed, which means that the plaintiffs will never be able to develop any more facts about it. That is discovery and create facts on the record because there's not going to be a record because this case is dismissed. Or at least it will be until Kaczmarek is reversed on appeal, we hope. But that can't happen until he certifies the order. And I think you're seeing the problem here now. <laughs> yeah, that's some catch, that catch 22. <laughs> yeah. And the other funny but not funny haha thing is that when the plaintiffs pointed that out in a motion for reconsideration, Kaczmarek then denied that, doubling down on his bizarre finding that, quote, the analyses concerning plaintiff's fourth cause of action remain fact intensive and undeveloped and merit further exploration. How are they going to get further exploration? <laughs> They're not. Because this case right. was dismissed. Yeah, that count. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that count. And look. This is not a Justin Walker situation where, you know, you might plausibly infer total incompetence, right? Like, Me Judge Kaczmarek <laughs> knows exactly what he is doing in this case, right? Which is making it as hard as possible for a student group that is 100% in the right to get the judicial relief that they deserve because, you know, he thinks gay people are icky. Yeah. And, uh... That sucks. But let's end this judge-intensive portion of our show uh, maybe with something less god-awful. Remember, we talked on the show before about Elon Musk suing the Center for Counting Digital Hate for noting that he's turned his website into a filthy sewer full of Nazis and hate speech. That case has been reassigned to a new judge. Yeah. Okay. First, Kind of amazing that Elon Musk is still doing that in light of the, you know, wildly damaging misinformation about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that is running rampant on his website right this very moment. Yeah, you'd have thought that he'd have wandered off by now to go ruin something else. But apparently right. he's not. And I don't know why he's continuing with this stupid lawsuit against the CCDH, particularly because Roberta Kaplan, that's Eugene Carroll's lawyer, is representing CCDH. And Roberta Kaplan says she is just champing at the bit to take discovery on Twitter. Uh, sorry, you, you cannot make me call it X. I'm just not. I, I, I would not dream of trying, Liz. I, you know, of all the people who are broken up over the slow, impending heat death of Twitter, like, you're uh, the most. I am. I'm super unhappy about it. But I, 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 yeah. I understand that Threads is actually happening. So that's that's on the list for this week. Anyway, the Twitter v. CCDH case has been reassigned to Judge Charles Breyer, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's kid brother to former Supreme <laughs> Court Justice Stephen Breyer. <laughs> Judge Breyer was put on the bench by Bill Clinton. He has been on senior status in the Northern District of California since 2011. And uh, look, I'm not. Uh, this is not me joking about like old judges at all, because I would mm -hmm. take an 81-year-old Clinton appointee over literally anyone nominated by Trump, even the normal ones who aren't like Ketchmarick or Cannon. Yeah, I, I mean... Kid brother is it was kind of funny. You have to for that one. But but look, I often think that these senior status jurists, of whatever political affiliation, right, take an even more thorough approach than their full time junior colleagues, right? Because they have more time. They have a docket that is more appropriate to a federal judge. Uh, right. Federal judiciary is grossly overworked and needs to be doubled. Uh, they're they're more experienced. They're more methodical. They don't write opinions based on vibes, right? Like there's a lot, a lot of good reasons to like this. 
Right. They have a they have a stronger respect for the institution of the judiciary. And the, and I think yeah. that they are less partisan. Anyway, moving on. How about another little update on stories we follow here? This one is also out of Florida. Weird how Florida makes so much trouble. Hey, Joe Dye. Oh. So Ron DeSantis is currently in the midst of destroying uh, civil liberties in that state under the preposterous hope that it will somehow make him president one day. It will not. <laughs> but remember, DeSantis got real mad at Walt Disney World for daring to criticize his filthy don't say gay law where he attacked gay and trans kids and their teachers. And, you know, it was just gross. Yep. Yeah. And then he abolished the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which was enacted in the 1960s, so that Walt Disney could turn 25,000 acres of swampland into the state's economic engine of tourism, which happened. Instead, De Sanctimonious en- enacted a new district <laughs> to, like, I don't know, threaten to put up a supermax prison in the Epcot parking lot or something. Like, it, it was crazy. He got spanked by the mouse and made us all learn about the rule against perpetuities and Princess Lilibet. And uh, that was that was one of my favorite deep dives that you did, Liz. Uh, that that litigation remains ongoing. It's it's going to be crazy. It's not going to go great for, uh, for, for Ron DeSantis. Right. So in the meantime, Governor Pisspants Snowflake has granted a brand new <laughs> special tax district to create quote, the Shingle Creek Transit and Utility Community Development District to give Universal Studios its own special tax district for a new park, which is slated to be called Epic Universe. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's its own thing, but we'll leave that alone. I'm, I'm going to read you a little bit from an article in the street about it, Andrew. You stop okay. me if you hear anything familiar here. Okay. Taxes and fees assessed on the landowners in the district are earmarked to fund the district. The only Mm -hmm. landowners within the Shingle Creek Transit Utility Community Development District are Universal Orlando and Rida Development Corp., which owns the Hilton Orlando. The special district's board of supervisors are all Universal employees. The former Reedy Creek Improvement District's board of supervisors were all Disney employees similar to Universal Special District Board. If this results in Universal Studios coming out with a full-throated defense of gay rights, like I, I'm, I'm here for it. So, anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's continue. no, no, no. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But like, I'm glad that we stopped because this is exactly what it was. This was exactly the setup for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, yes. which is the you know, which was the Disney one, right? It, it, it was, it was like basically a trailer park full of Disney employees living more or less rent-free were the only voters in the district and the only taxpayer in the district was was Disney itself. This is exactly the same thing. All right, I'm going to read a little more. The creation of the Shingle Creek Special District with all Universal employees governing land owned mostly by Universal could provide support for Disney as it pursues its lawsuit (laughs) against DeSantis. What do you think? Special taxing districts are common in Florida as the state has over 1,800 special districts. AB... um, DeSantis publicly called the revocation of the Reedy Creek Special District as an attempt to take special privileges away from Disney. However, DeSantis has not done anything to the nearly 2,000 other special districts in his state. DeSantis replaced the Reedy Creek Board with a new board, the Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board, consisting of his hand-picked political cronies. Yeah, and I, I love you flagging this. I mean, I mean, to sort of translate from econ into English, DeSantis's argument is... Disney got this huge giveaway and nobody else has anything like it. But A, 2,000 other districts are rather like it. I mean, they're not quite as extensive. And B, DeSantis just created one exactly like the old Reedy Creek Improvement District. So that's going to make his argument kind of a... 
Yeah. <laughs> an, an uphill Epic climb. world. Epic world. Yeah. Come on now. Epic world. <laughs> right at a time when Universal is losing most of the Marvel properties back to Disney. And that's way too in-depth for, for a rabbit trail here. But, uh, but that could be a fun episode. But as long as we're talking about Ron DeSantis, I've got to Tiny end D. with this story. <laughs> because Florida continues to mainstream a so-called alternative to the SAT and ACT tests, it is called the Critical Learning Test, or CLT. A few months ago, the Florida legislature passed a bill that would enable the CLT to be used to help qualify for state scholarships, right? So you score well on it, you could submit to state scholarship funds. And last month, on September 8th, the state university system, despite having numerous disagreements, written questions on the record from actual educators overwhelmingly voted to approve the use of the CLT for college admissions to the state university system. So what's the CLT? I actually took this test. We released it as a <laughs> bonus to patrons. I will link it in the show notes. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And we, you and I had a lot of fun laughing about that. that uh, yeah. But here's the short, short, short version. Christopher Rufo, you know, the film student grad who's made a career out of lying about critical race theory, is on the CLT test advisory board. Okay, so um, now, now that's all you need to know. Here's the regular short version if you want a little bit more. CLT is, of course, a for-profit company that has come up with this test that it is trying to market as an alternative to standardized tests like the SAT and ACT. And look, like, I want to be the first person to say the SAT kind of sucks, you know, even even though, Liz, you, you and I were, were pretty good at it. Uh, you were pretty good at it. No, I, I was fine. Oh, it's it's like 100 fantastic. years ago. Yeah. Who the hell remembers? <laughs> but look, all of the things that those of us on the left dislike about the SAT and ACT are much much worse in the CLT, right? The second you pop the hood on this test, it is obvious that we are dealing with a barely packaged Christian nationalism. For example, the material in the test verbal reasoning section is drawn from passages described on the website as, quote, in the Western intellectual tradition, and they say, see the author bank, put a pin in that because, of course, I saw the author bank. <laughs> they fall into four categories for each exam. Those are philosophy slash religion, science, literature, and historical slash American founding documents. Uh-huh. Great. That's that's all public education needs is more deifying the founding fathers. We really just don't have <laughs> enough like ancestor worship in Florida. <laughs> so as promised, I dug into the author bank and it is very white. It is very male. Okay. It has a handful. I, I, I will not characterize, but, you know, it includes Martin Luther King. It includes Zora Neale Hurston, uh, but it's also awfully heavy on theologians. And okay, like I, I get you could make an argument why a classical education might include Maimonides and Thomas Aquinas. Fair. I mean, okay. Yeah, I, you could I, argue I mean, the I mean, other I, way like, too, but but I would like all of these people are like learn to code. You don't need the humanities, but you know what we actually need? Maimonides and Thomas Aquinas. I, I have no problem with Maimonides and Thomas Aquinas, right? But but I am right. like all of these people who are like get a real job, don't be an English major. Which look, I was an English major. Come on, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, and tell us who else it is doesn't. On yeah, it doesn't stop there, right? It expects the average eleventh grader to be familiar with Tertullian. 
Origen, St. Athanasius, St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Jerome, St. Benedict, St. Gregory the Great, not any of the other St. Gregories, I guess, St. Bede, I don't know, B-E-D-E, B-E-D, I don't know, whatever, St. Bede yeah, yeah. the Vol- yeah, St. Bede the Venerable. I almost called him St. Bede the Vulnerable. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, Hugh of St. Victor, and St. Hildegard of Bingen. I made none of those names up, but I wish I had thrown in one fake name in the list and then challenged the listeners to spot it because I don't think you could. I think I have heard of like St. Goldie, the patron saint of indigestion, and, uh, <laughs> you know, St. <laughs> Moishi, patron saint of like... <laughs> Oi, my hip. I, would, I don't know. <laughs> I, would, I would love. I'm, I am all behind a St. Moishi day. So, uh, St. Chaya, okay. patron saint of, oh, it's fine if you don't call. It's fine. I'll just sit here in the dark. My mouth. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to like segue into some weird Al Yankovic lyrics. If, if don't, uh, <laughs> keep it going. Okay. Look, as you were pointing out, right? It then should not surprise anyone that when you look at the list of colleges that allow you to take this CLT test for purposes of gaining admission, it's almost entirely seminaries and explicitly Christian religious schools, right? So I, No I, yeshiva in there? No, no. And again, I, I don't want to mislead anyone, right? There are a handful of good religious schools like uh, Georgetown, I don't know what <laughs> uh, and non-religious schools like the University of Richmond, okay? Uh, but that's about it in terms of schools that accept this test. Once you get past that, it is uh, that literal handful. You were talking about a who's who of evangelical Christian nationalist factories. It includes Biola University, Bob Jones University, Brooks Bible College, Central Christian College of the Bible, Dallas Baptist University, Faith Bible College International, Le Tourneau University, and of course, Liberty University. And I, I stopped reading the <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So. Even when you are not talking about the 28 schools on the list that are designated Bible colleges or Christian universities, you get these deceptively named schools like Florida College. Um, That's not the University of Florida, right? (laughs) Not yet, anyway. It is a, quote, private Christian college in Temple Terrace, Florida, founded in 1946, quote, not only to teach a subject, but more importantly, to give you a faith-based foundation for a successful career. And the founder, Jeremy Wayne Tate, seems to, you know, hang out in conservative evangelical circles. He was a 2022 speaker at the Repairing the Ruins conference that, you know, platforms monsters like Al Mohler and Ben Carson. Yeah, it's now going to include the University of Florida, which is actually terrible. Because University uh, of Florida is the state's flagship institution. It's an excellent, excellent school. But I guess it's not, it's pretty on brand because DeSantis put Chris Rufo in charge of New College, this small liberal arts college in Florida that was an excellent school. Rufo has recruited all of these athletes. He's had declines in admission applications. He's had all of this faculty leave. It's it's not become better. It has not become this kind of conservative paradise that's like, a, you know, an answer to woke colleges that they all talked about. It you know, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. And they're gonna they're trying to do the same thing to the University of Florida. Yeah, and that is truly doing a disservice to you know, students in Florida and elsewhere. So I have three thoughts here. Number one. This test is very, very predictable, and it is way easier to teach students how to game this test and score higher than even the SAT. 
right? If the passage is from a white theologian, you pick all the positive sounding answers. If it's from Nietzsche or Darwin, put a pin in that, you pick the negative answers, okay? So super easy to coach, and that favors the parents who can pay to coach their kids in the test. Okay, that's point one. Point two, it is 100% culturally biased in favor of white people. So, like, there's a recurring question in the grammar section in the form of which of the following choices best matches the tone of the passage? And how do I say this uh, delicately? There are colloquial, what one might call urban answers, and those are always wrong answers, right? So one of them was about... Yeah, one of them was about making money, and it was one of the, you know, obviously wrong answers was making bank. And, and it's like, yeah, don't, don't do that. Okay. And number three, two-thirds of the test, the language and grammar sections. I, I, I don't think they're screwing up the math, but I wouldn't put that past Christopher Rufo. But anyway, the, the, those sections are designed to test on subject matter areas that privilege evangelical homeschooled students. It is topics they are highly likely to be familiar with as opposed to their public schooled colleagues. And and I'm gonna give you a couple of examples, okay? So I'm just going straight down the first four reading passages. Number one was from English theologian, G.K. Chesterton. (laughs) So when you ask the question, which of the following choices best matches the tone of the passage, and the passage is 19th century evangelical preacher speak, guess who's going to be good at matching the tone of the passage? Right. The second selection, so, so Chesterton was number one. The second selection was adapted from a passage in Darwin's On the Origin of Species. And Again, this is something that homeschooled evangelicals are drilled in quote mining from because, you know, modern biology has gone way beyond Darwin. And like, you know, most public school kids do not read on the origin of species. It's like confusing and hard to read and inaccurate. Okay. The third passage, the philosophy section, was from Nietzsche's What is Noble and Beyond Good and Evil. And again, this is an evangelical Christian bugaboo because, you know, Nietzsche, atheist, that means life is pointless, right? So there you have it. Florida has just passed its own version of affirmative action for privileged white Christian evangelicals. Great. I hate it. (laughs) As well you should. Sad to go out on a downer, but uh, I'm always cheered up by the fact that you're here with me, Liz. So thank you so much, and uh, we will see you on Wednesday. See you guys. You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Liz. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com law. If you can't support us financially, it'd be a big help if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, Email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at openargs.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at openargs. This podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC, with assistance from Teresa Gomez and Deborah Smith. Copyright 2023, Opening Arguments Media, LLC, all rights reserved.